Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. It's my pleasure to be with you again this week. The Ask Dr. Love show is streaming live right now on the Ask Dr. Love YouTube channel, and Ask Dr. Love is also going to broadcast in five of the top 10 U.S. terrestrial radio markets, reaching 40 million listeners starting next Thursday through Tuesday. In addition to airing in Chicago, Atlanta, San Francisco, and Boston, this show airs in Seattle and in San Bernardino and L.A. The audio and video recordings of the show will be posted on the weekly show page on AskDrLove.com. The show recordings are also available on Spotify, iHeart, Podbean, and all your favorite podcast apps. And remember to submit your questions to me at AskDrLove.com forward slash questions. I'm going to do my best to answer your question on air. Now, on to today's show, and I'll be answering your questions later in the show. The topic of the week is healing grief over a loved one who died of COVID. According to statistics, we know that 1.1 million U.S. deaths have been attributed to COVID-19. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate on whether the stats are accurate or whether many deaths were wrongly attributed to covid the fact remains there are countless millions of people worldwide who are grieving loved ones. So today I want to talk with you about death, dying, and grief. And I want to preface by telling you a little bit about how I have come to specialize in helping people heal the pain of grief. Because as you're going to soon see, my own grief is how this story begins. When I was a young girl, I had a detailed premonition of the man that I would one day marry. I saw his face and his body, and I just decided to wait, not date. A very medieval concept for a girl growing up in the 70s, I know. But Jean did appear on the first day of my freshman year at Vassar College. I had been shut out of all intro sociology, and I really wanted to study Soch. The secretary of the department, her name was Judy Cadwallader, said that I should ask Jean Pain, the chair of the department, if I could ask him to find a seat for me in one of the closed sections. The minute I stepped into Jean's office, I had the first out-of-body experience of my life. I felt my soul shoot at high speed through a tunnel to the end of my life. And when I shot back into my body, I received the message that I should remember every aspect of the meeting because this man would be everything to me one day. Well, I promptly forgot the message. I mean, obviously, this was your average first day of college right? I, I forgot this crazy message and I went about my life as a college student. Soon after meeting Jean, I discovered that for most of his life, he had been one of the most famous Jesuit priests in history. He had taught at the University of the Vatican called the Gregorian University, and he founded a movement called Liberation Theology designed to fight church oppression from within. And Jean launched to international fame when he publicly opposed the Pope and the Catholic Church as they were trying to block the legalization of divorce in Italy. Jean was a radical feminist, and he didn't want to see women trapped in marriages where they were being abused. So he fought on the grounds of 
religious freedom. He argued that the church should butt out of the private sector. This was his brand of liberation theology. And he won. And he got the divorce bill passed and changed the course of Italian history. Soon afterwards, the Pope granted him the dispensation of his vows so he wouldn't be excommunicated, and Jean left the Jesuit order and the priesthood and was recruited by Vassar College to be the chair of the Department of Sociology. Four years after our fateful meeting, when I was in my senior year, I needed help with the statistics. Say this three times fast. I needed help with the statistical portion of my thesis, and I had heard through the Vassar grapevine that Jean had also been a famous statistician, having founded the Vatican's first and only social research center. Even though he wasn't my advisor, he cheerfully gave me his time, and in a few weeks, we just knew we were meant for each other. From that moment on, we were inseparable for nearly 40 years. We wrote books together, restored houses together, and rejoiced in every moment we spent together. In the last year of Jean's bodily life, we both began having a premonition that he was going to leave his body from an accident. We didn't know when or where it would happen. On the day we left for our final summer vacation in Europe, lightning struck our rose arbor and destroyed it. And then I saw 40 huge black crows in the backyard. I shook off the omen and we boarded the plane. One day, while we were sitting on the beach in Sperlonga, Italy, Jean's hand was over his eyes to block the rays of the sun, when suddenly a bee swooped down and stung my Jean's hand at the exact location of Christ's stigmata, and I watched my beloved suffocate in front of my eyes. Well, I was beyond hysterical, to say the least. I went back to the hotel room. I was shaking, trembling, crying. I collapsed on the bed, and suddenly I felt a hand stroke the entire length of my spine. I shot bolt upright. I didn't see anything but I knew that it was Jean. Now keep in mind, for my entire life, I was a devoutly atheist person. I didn't believe in God or the afterlife, and Jean and I never discussed religion. But from this moment on, Jean began making his presence known to me. He began moving objects and turning lights on and off, often in front of witnesses. His manifestations were over the top, because he wanted me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we don't die. And one day, soon afterwards, he told me, Jamie, tell our story. Let our love shine like a torch that lights the path for others. So to honor Jean's wish, that's exactly what I did. Based upon my discovery that we don't die, we just leave our bodies, I realized that our relationships are not meant to end with bodily death. As I discovered, when we form a bond with another person, our souls are bonded for eternity. This means that we're not meant to be separated from those we love, and contrary to popular belief, time doesn't ease our grief. In fact, time actually makes us miss our loved ones even more because we are not meant to be separated from those we love. And reconnecting and staying connected is the only way to end the grief. 
So I developed the transdimensional grief resolution method, a totally new kind of grief therapy method that combines my conflict resolution method with after-death communication. The transdimensional grief resolution method enables those who are grieving to reconnect and even heal unfinished business with anyone in spirit. Hay House introduced my story and new transdimensional grief resolution method in my book Love Never Dies, How to Reconnect and Make Peace with the Deceased. And this book became a number one international bestseller. And for nearly three years, I hosted Love Never Dies, the number one show on the Hay House Radio Network. And I traveled the world giving talks and workshops, helping people to reconnect with their loved ones in spirit and even heal unfinished business. On the show each week, I shared Jean's latest manifestations and I took live calls and I couldn't even handle all the calls, which showed me just how many people are grieving and hungry to reconnect. So to honor the tradition of sharing manifestation stories, I'm going to tell you two sweet stories right now. These happened just this past week. This past weekend, something amazing happened. I sensed that Jean was asking me to bike over to the park next to my house. There's a wooden walkway, a boardwalk that spans the water, and the water just rushes under the boardwalk. And I was lying on a bench on that boardwalk reading. All of a sudden, I heard footsteps, and they approached and stopped. I sat up, and a little boy was standing in front of me. A beautiful, almost white-haired blonde boy of about three or four was perched in front of me, and I asked him if he was with his family, and he said his mom and dad and grandmother and brother were coming. I asked if he lives here, and he said he's on vacation. His dad arrived, and I told the father, Your son is adorable. He's so outgoing for a boy his age. And then a couple minutes later, his family arrived, and the boy said to me, I don't know your name. And I thanked him for reminding me that I had neglected to introduce myself, and after a quick chat, his family moved on. Several minutes later, the boy ran back, all by himself. I asked him if he had returned to say goodbye. He said, Yes. I said, it was so wonderful meeting you. And I added, you have touched my heart. I will never forget you. And this little boy said something I will never forget for the rest of my life. He said, I think I filled your bucket and you filled mine. Oh my, I could feel Jean's love pouring through this sweet open vessel. That's a term I coined for those who are open to receiving and communicating messages from our loved ones in spirit. Open vessels are animals, domestic and wild, young kids, the very old, the sick, and the disabled. I truly won't forget this visit for the rest of my life. And I knew that Jean was also visiting with me because he sent me here to meet this little boy who he knew would be able to communicate this message to me. Now the second thing that happened relates to B. She's in my online love club group and she is grieving her beloved kitty named Dolly who literally keeled over without warning a couple of days prior to last week's group. I was sitting outside on my lanai with my online group, so everyone was with me online remotely, and she was discussing her grief. 
and I told her that her kitty is with her and wants to connect with her and wants her to feel that she's still sitting with her. And suddenly, a male cardinal appeared right next to me and sang. And I've noticed many times that our loved ones often appear in cardinals. This is a common open vessel for loved ones in spirit. And at the same moment, Tim, another online group member's dog who's named Quincy, Quincy is the most hyper animal on the planet. He barks incessantly and never sits still. And suddenly Quincy came into the camera frame. And as I was speaking about Bee's kitty sitting with her and comforting her, Quincy came beside Tim, the Love Club member, and sat very still looking into the camera. Quincy actually put her little, his little snout on Tim's shoulder, and I could feel Dolly's spirit coming through Quincy to confirm what I said, that yes, indeed, Dolly is still sitting with and comforting B. Now, when we come back from the break, I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be talking more about why people don't reconnect with loved ones in spirit. This is our topic today: how to reconnect to heal your grief. And I'm going to be focusing on the false beliefs that block most of us from reconnecting. And then I'll be answering your questions. Be back with you in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love broadcasts in five of the top 10 U.S. radio markets reaching 40 million listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group for a surprisingly reasonable rate. Everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other radio relationship advice show presented anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish your relationship and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit askdrlove.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and I'm talking about why it is that most people don't reconnect with their loved ones in spirit. And the reason I discovered is there are many false beliefs that block reconnecting. After Jean left his body in 2006, I discovered that most people are riddled with incorrect beliefs that block our ability to communicate with spirit beings. And I want to familiarize 
you with some of these false beliefs so we can debunk them. You have to be able to debunk them in order to be able to reconnect. And a word of caution, when you're grieving, you're in a very vulnerable place. So I want you to be aware of people in your intimate circle who, however well-meaning, may try to interfere with your efforts to reconnect with those in spirit. These well-meaning skeptics, dream stealers, and naysayers are themselves laboring under the very same false teachings and beliefs that I'm here to free you of. So please be careful and choose who you talk with about this topic. Because especially in the early stages of grief, your heart and your hopes can easily be dashed by well-meaning friends and family. And I don't want your reconnection to stall as a result as a result of others interfering in your process of reconnecting. So the first false belief that we want to overcome is the wrong belief that we're not supposed to stay in connection with loved ones in spirit. Now, how do I know that we're supposed to stay in connection with those in spirit? Well, Jean brought me this revelation on my first night back from Italy. I was lying in the bed, not sleeping, when I heard Jean speak to me, and he began quoting something I didn't recognize. The next day I went to his priest to prepare the readings for Jean's funeral. Now I had never met the priest before because as I said I never went to church. And when I told the priest that Jean was speaking to me and quoting something, the priest raised his brow in obvious skepticism and I could see he was thinking that this babe has lost her marbles. But then when I told him what Jean was saying to me, he blanched, crossed himself and said, "Dear God, Jamie. At first I didn't believe that Jean was talking to you, but I do now. He told me that I was quoting an obscure biblical passage from the communion of saints, like I would have known. As I said, I never read the Bible or went to church, and Jean and I never discussed religion when he was in a body. It took me a year to understand why Jean chose to quote that and only that passage to me. Remember, he was a religious pioneer in life, and he continues to be in the afterlife. As I discovered, the communion of saints says that our loved ones in spirit are one with or in communion with God and the saints. And since the Bible says we're supposed to stay in communion and communication with God and the saints, this means that our the Bible is telling us that we're supposed to stay in communion and communication with our loved ones in spirit because they are one with God and the saints. The point is, what we've been told about the afterlife is dead wrong. Pardon my pun. We're not meant to live in an emotional wasteland, separated from those we love, waiting until we quote-unquote die and enter heaven. Because, as Jean told me, Jamie, death is an illusion. There's a very thin veil between the realm where you are and the realm where I am. The veil is thinner than you can ever imagine. I'm standing right here. He also told me, heaven is a state, not a place. Heaven is all around us. Heaven is here and now. This all means we're supposed to reconnect with loved ones in spirit now. The next false belief that we need to tackle is the belief that reconnecting to those in spirit stops us from getting on with our lives. As I've discovered, the exact opposite 
is true. I can't tell you how many grieving people I have spoken with on Hay House Radio each week for almost three years. Some of these people had been grieving for decades, and contrary to popular belief, time hasn't healed, hadn't healed their grief. Think about it. We never stop loving the people we love who've left their bodies, and if we don't reconnect, the pain of missing those we love who are in spirit never goes away, and our grief goes on and on. When we're grieving, we can't enter our lives and live fully. Now, we may go through the motions of living, we may not talk about our loss, but it's still there dragging us down and preventing us from truly re-entering our lives. So here's the thing, when we focus on our loss, we end up stuck in grief and marinating in misery. So how can we re-enter life when we're pining and grieving? We can't. So here's the great news. Reconnecting is the way to re-enter your life. I have personally facilitated thousands of healings in my office, at my live and virtual Love Never Dies retreats and workshops, and during my weekly Hay House radio shows, and each time I've helped a grieving person to reconnect and dialogue with his or her quote-unquote lost loved one, that person's grief is instantly transformed to joy. When you reconnect, you discover that your loved ones aren't lost at all. And this discovery that can only come from reconnecting is what dissipates the grief. Now you can joyfully re-enter your life rather than limp through your days dragging your grieving self from moment to moment. Now here's the next misconception, the next false belief. Reconnecting with those in spirit, especially life partners and spouses, prevents us from forming another primary relationship. This one is also untrue. Let me give you an analogy that will help you see why. Imagine a woman is thinking of having a second child. Would you ever say to her, do you love your first child? She says yes. Well, if you do, you can't have another child. Ridiculous, right? The point is our hearts are made to love. We have enough room in our hearts to love all those who walk the earth plane and all those who walk in spirit. Now here's another misconception that we need to ditch if we want to reconnect with those in spirit. If we reconnect with those in spirit, we are preventing them from moving on. This is so untrue as well. First of all, we need to let go of the false belief that spirit moves on to some place. So I'll be talking more about <clears throat> this concept and the latest scientific findings, which will help you understand more about the afterlife and where those in spirit reside. I'll be talking more about the dark matter and so on. But for now, the point to remember is that the afterlife or heaven is right here. So when loved ones leave their bodies, they don't go anywhere or move on to anywhere. As Jean said, again, death is an illusion. There's a very thin veil between the realm where you are and the realm where I am. The veil is thinner than you can ever imagine. I'm standing right here. So once and for all, it's time for the world to embrace the fact that those in spirit don't go anywhere. Now, a related misconception is the idea that reconnecting impedes those in spirit from moving on to perform their holy work. This one is also wrong, because as it turns out, helping us is their holy work. I discovered this truth on my first night back from Italy, when Jean told me, My arms are always open to you. What else is there for me to do? My full-time occupation is to love you. <clears throat> I continually hear 
callers and patients, loved ones in spirit, voicing a similar message. Those in spirit want us to know that they are here to watch over us. And in fact, their soul, S-O-L-E, and I should say their soul, S-O-U-L, purpose is to support us as we travel down the bumpy road called life, to assist us in fulfilling our spiritual destinies and helping us to heal ourselves in mind, body, mind, body, spirit, emotion, in every way. We are their holy work. Now, also, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'm going to share another intense, intense misconception with you. Be back in a moment. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love broadcasts in five of the top 10 U.S. radio markets reaching 40 million listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group for a surprisingly reasonable rate. Everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other radio relationship advice show presented anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish your relationship and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit askdrlove.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. We're talking about how to overcome the grief of losing a loved one to COVID or any other condition or illness or accident and how reconnecting is the only way to heal. And I'm talking about how we have to overcome the misconceptions, false religious teachings and incorrect beliefs that block us from reconnecting. This next misconception is... Reconnecting to loved ones in spirit opens the door to dark forces and to the devil himself. Okay, this one is also dead wrong. First off, I want to tell you that right after Jean left his body, I heard that the Dalai Lama publicly prayed for Jean, naming him as one of the 50 men of all time who was one with God. Now, why do I say this? Because Jean, a man who was and is one with God, never spoke about the devil or dark forces. Why? Because the devil doesn't exist. Now, it's true that some spirit beings are less evolved than others, but that's a far cry from being devils. And guess what? 
you don't have to interact with these lower evolved beings. Think about the analogy of call blocking on a telephone. We, as intelligent human beings, have the ability to set boundaries for ourselves. Just as we can screen our incoming calls and refuse access to unwanted callers, the same can be done with unwanted spirit presences. So don't ever forget that your heart has the ability to discern the difference between love and evil if there is such a thing. And you can simply refuse incoming messages that you don't wish to receive. I can't deny that evil evil spirits may exist. I just know that I have never had to deal with them. Jean acts as my gatekeeper. His love guards me against any negative presences, if there are any. And your loved ones in spirit are equally devoted to protecting you. Love always triumphs over evil. Now I'm going to throw you a big curveball. Dark forces and devils are actually a projection of our own unwanted and unrecognized dark sides. Now stay with me here. One of the ways that the psyche tries to rid us of unwanted anger is to project it out onto others. In this way, we don't have to keep feelings we don't want to have. So instead of saying we have a dark side, our unwanted dark side is now projected outward. And now we're talking about evil forces and devils when in fact we're actually talking about a projected unwanted part of ourself that we don't want to own. In addition to projection, another way that the psyche handles unwanted anger is to bury it. And when we bury our anger, the unconscious part of the psyche has a function that is similar to a heat-seeking missile. Our unconscious knows there is emotional heat lurking inside of us, and the psyche punishes us for it. It's as if the mind is saying, you're harboring a dirty secret, you're evil in your heart, and you deserve to pay. Now, if you have a religious background, the payment or punishment will take the form of fear that the devil or dark forces are going to get you. But if you don't have a religious background, then the psyche will find a secular form of punishment that is self-styled to get you where you live. So, for example, one of my patients who was filled with buried anger found her life in shambles because she couldn't drive or fly for fear of dying in a crash. It's as if her psyche was saying, you're a bad person for harboring buried anger and you deserve to die in a crash. So her fear made her stop flying and driving and that fear-driven punishment ruined her life. But here's what's so amazing. Each time I help a patient to realize that he or she is sitting on a mountain of buried anger and I help that person bring the anger to the light of day, the heat-seeking missile function vaporizes and suddenly the fear of being punished by devils, dark forces, cars, planes or whatever your personal hell is just goes away. So if you're afraid that reconnecting will bring the devil to your door, please do some self-examination and I bet you're going to find buried anger is the source of your fear. And when you find the anger, bring that anger to your conscious awareness and you'll see that your psyche stops torturing you with the threat of devils and dark forces. Now, what if buried anger isn't the underlying cause of your fear of the devil and dark forces? What if your fear comes from a Christian upbringing? Well, as I discovered after Jean left his body, Christians are taught outright that the devil can masquerade as our deceased loved ones. That's enough. To, that's really enough to put the fear of God or the devil in anyone. 
To this day, I'm told that the church still instills the medieval fear of devil worship and spirit possession. And I'm also told that the official church party line is, it's okay to speak to God and the saints, but the list of whom you may communicate with in spirit ends there. So why would the church want to instill fear of the devil in us? Well, Jean told me after he left his body, there's big money in fear. What he means is this. If we believe what the church says, that the devil can masquerade as our loved ones in spirit, then we would never consider establishing our own direct relationship with spirit. In other words, instilling this fear leads to our believing that we have no choice but to rely on a priest to act as our intercessor to God and spirit. And this fear forces us to keep coming back to church and keep making donations that fill the church's coffers. That's why what Jean means by there's big business in fear. Now, here's another big misconception. Once they are in heaven, spirits are out of reach and unable to communicate with us. After Jean left his body in 2006, I discovered that many Christians are riddled with this particular false belief, and this one really blocks them from reconnecting. On more than one occasion since Jean left his body, priests have told me that the spirit lingers close to earth for only a short while after bodily death, and that once our loved ones are in heaven, they are forever out of reach, incommunicado. One day, I went to speak with Jean's priest. I was so excited to share with him some more details of Jean's ongoing manifestations. And the priest told me, be prepared. When Jean enters heaven, his manifestations will stop and you will only find him again when you are reunited in heaven. Well, I was so bothered by what the priest had told me. And then I heard Jean say, remember, heaven is a state, Jamie, not a place. Where would I go? I have nowhere to go but to be with you. My full-time occupation is to love you. Later that day, I was in my office about to start a group. A new patient named Ashley was the first to arrive. She didn't know Jean or me at all. She certainly didn't know that I was widowed. And as we waited for the other group members to arrive, we heard the chiming sound that my security system emitted when the front door opens. When we heard then, at that moment, we heard very loud, pounding footsteps, and the footsteps stopped in the waiting room outside my group room, uh, and the door was closed. So I said to Ashley, it must be another patient who got his or her appointment time wrong. At that moment, we heard the footsteps once again, but this time they sounded like they were leaving. So I jumped up and I opened the door to the waiting room to speak to the patient, but there was no one there. Then I went to the front door and I opened it. There was no human being outside and no parked car. And the house where my office was located had a very long driveway. No one could have had time to reach his or her car and drive off in those few seconds. And I registered that this was Jean's answer to the priest's erroneous statement that once in heaven I would no longer hear from him. I returned to the group room and I told my patient there was nobody outside. And she said, it was a spirit. <laughs> well, that was Jean's answer. Did you hear those footsteps? I'm right here. So if we buy into the false belief that our loved ones in heaven are out of reach, we're condemned to tolerate an emotional wasteland in which our relationships are held in suspension and suspense until we're reunited with loved ones in spirit when we leave our bodies. 
So in the weeks to come, I'm going to talk more about additional false beliefs and all kinds of things that you're going to need to know to help you reconnect and stay connected and heal unfinished business with loved ones in spirit. Because the, the point I want you to remember is reconnecting and staying connected is really the only way to heal our grief. So let's take a break. We'll be back in a moment because I want to get to some of your questions. Are you a business looking to expand across the USA? Ask Dr. Love broadcasts in five of the top 10 U.S. radio markets reaching 40 million listeners, offering you a unique opportunity to reach out to almost every adult listening group for a surprisingly reasonable rate. Everyone is concerned about their relationships. There is no other radio relationship advice show presented anywhere else in the USA. By advertising on Ask Dr. Love, your company can reach an audience that no other show touches. Visit AskDrLove.com and fill out the contact form to get in on this tremendous opportunity. Fill out the contact form at AskDrLove.com right now and get all the details. Will it be your company that gets to take advantage and grow your business? You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish your relationship and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit askdrlove.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turnoff. We're talking about how to overcome the grief of a lost loved one. And um, I've given you a lot of pointers about how to overcome the false beliefs and the misconceptions that we all harbor. And these misconceptions and false beliefs block the reconnection. And the, really, the only way to heal our grief is to reconnect, stay connected, and heal any unfinished business that will remain. I'm going to talk more about this in the weeks to come because there's so much grief in the world. But I want to get to the questions that you guys sent to me right um, that you asked me to answer. Now, I want to make sure I have someone in the studio who said that she wanted to talk to me more at length about her question. First, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the question, then I'm going to give my answer. And then Liz um, will unmute you so that if you want to speak to me about my answer or ask me further questions, we'll be able to chat a bit back and forth. So here's the question. And the subject of the, the question is disgusted by partner's intimacy. Hi, Dr. Jamie. I'm in a difficult position. I have been with my partner for seven years. I have never felt that in love feeling. I always thought that it would develop over time, but it hasn't. It is so bad that I kind of feel disgusted when he kisses me or wants to be intimate with me. I'd rather masturbate than have sex with him. We got a house and dogs together, not married, no children. Should I break up with him? How do I do it? 
He's such a good guy and I do love him. All right. So here's, here's my answer to you, Liz. First of all, this is a very sad question. And before we focus on the practical questions you asked about, should I break up? Should I move out? I want you to see clearer into what I believe are some of the deeper issues that are driving you. You said you don't feel in love. Now, not feeling in love doesn't fully explain why you feel disgusted by physical intimacy, intimacy with him. Many people have sexual encounters with people they don't love, and they don't feel disgusted by the physical contact. So I'm wondering if you were sexually molested. And I'm saying this because I have had many patients over the decades who were molested and then felt disgusted by physical contact with another person. So I wonder if you unconsciously chose someone who you don't love so that your unconscious would have an excuse to create a cover story that you're disgusted because you don't love him. And the cover story protects us from having to face the real story, which is even more painful. So I'm inviting you to have the courage to get beneath what I think is a cover story and find out why you chose to marry someone you don't love and why you chose to marry someone who disgusts you physically. And I'd like you know, to ask you if you recall being molested as a young girl or even as a teen or a young woman. Was your first sexual encounter traumatizing? There's so much that we need to investigate. And um, I'm gonna actually encourage you to come in and talk with me about it because you certainly deserve so mo much more than you're experiencing in life and love. So. Liz, can we unmute you so that you could talk to me about um, the questions that I asked? Are you able to come in, Liz? Hi, Dr. Jamie. Um, oh, hello. So good to hear your <laughs> voice, darling. So so what did you think about my response and my, my suspicion um, that you have been molested? Any thoughts about what I said? Yeah, so it really made me, you know, think a little bit deeper and really go back in time and just, you know, reflect on, on my life's journey. Right. And um, I, I do realize that, you know, when I was younger, you know, I, I did have some difficult relationships. So you were, you were really spot on about questioning me around that. Um, I think as a teen, you know, I did find myself in, in difficult situations where, you know, as a teen, you know, maybe you got drunk sometimes and then things happened and, you know, you kind of just, you know, were shocked that, you know, you couldn't stay sober and something like that happened to you. So I think Wait, so wait, you're jumping over. You said, I uh, shocked that something like that happened to you. So you mean when you were a teen you had uh you used alcohol and then came out of the experience being shocked that you had a sexual encounter while under the influence that's correct um i think you know you you want those moments you want to remember them and you want to be conscious in those moments and um you know you 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 don't Liz? want to be taken advantage of and um, those but are were you? Can you still hear me? I hear you now. When you, you're talking about what you don't want, but the question is, you were taken advantage of, correct? You were mistreated. 
That's correct, yeah. Okay. So I was correct in what I said to you, that the you were sexually taken advantage of and mistreated, and the feelings around how you were violated have gone underground, Liz. And the, the way they are resurfacing is in the form of, I'm disgusted to be touched. And what happens is the brain is very tricky. It'll bury the feelings and then they come out sideways in our current relationships. So now it's, I'm disgusted to be touched by my partner when we're not even talking about him. We're talking about all the men who mistreated you, not even him, the boy, the man you're with. And you've never really gotten in touch with how disgusted you are. And disgust, by the way, is a defense mechanism against rage. The disgust is called attitudinal aggression, Liz. Behind the disgust is, I'm enraged with these men who mistreated me. And I promise you that if you start to get in touch with how enraged you are, the feeling about dis feeling disgusted about having sex in general will dissipate. Are you there, Liz? Yes, yes, I'm okay. here. Are you having a feeling? Because you're kind of quiet now. This is, I, I'm kind of yeah, jumping, I'm, jumping to, to the deep end here. I'm wondering, you know, um, about some of my past relationships where I kind of didn't feel disgusted and why, you know, it's only this specific now. one. Yeah. yeah, that's very interesting because what do you think is the reason? Uh, well, my, my first thoughts were that you know I was obviously a lot younger and um while I I the relationship played out quite differently um to you know how this one started and you know where we're at and it feels like it's a completely different type of love to that you know that young if I may call it young um love um so I don't know if that might be might be the reason I don't think so. I think sometimes what happens is I'll use the example of a bag of garbage. You keep, we keep stuffing that, you know, feelings, memories and traumas into the bag of garbage until we can't stuff any more in and then the bag breaks. So for a time you were able to push down the feelings around your previous sexual assaults, pushing them down, pushing them down, and they were not in the forefront until finally you just can't push any more down and the bag breaks and then you become symptomatic. The garbage starts pouring out. And now you're disgusted because think about it. There's a disconnect here. You love this man. So to be disgusted by having physical contact with him is a disconnect because it's, it's, we don't expect to be dis disgusted by someone we love. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's not repulsive. He's not repulsive. So it's more like something has caused your bag to break because the brain can only push our traumas down and our feelings down for so long until we become symptomatic. Like for example, Liz, um, I had a patient who was sexually molested and had no memory of it, no memory of the feelings until she gave birth. And suddenly, the act of giving birth brought it all back to her. Her brain just brought it back at that moment. 
So there's a reason. It may be unrelated to this particular relationship. It may be your brain just said, I can't keep this in anymore because we, you know, the body wants to push poisons out. We want to detox. We, you know, it, we get a splinter, we get an infection to push that splinter out and the pus comes with it. Your brain is telling you it's time for me to deal with the feelings I buried around those past encounters where I was molested. And I, I promise you, once you start, like, for example, would you be open to trying something with me for a moment? Yes, of course. All right. So we don't have, um, we don't have a long amount of time, but I would like to, um, I would like to try this. Okay. I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to visualize one of the guys who violated you. Get a picture in your mind, can you? Yeah. All right. Now, if you close your eyes and you take a breath in, can you picture yourself in that scene where you're waking up, you know, after having been under the influence, you didn't even know what you did? Yeah. Can you tap in and see whether there's a feeling of disgust that you were not aware of in that moment? No, not in that moment. You're shut, shut down. So you see there's a, an odd, again, disconnect between that event and you have no feeling around it. The brain will do this, Liz. It will just shut it down. Like, you know, when women are being raped, they will often have the experience of being numb outside themselves, on the outside looking in, no feeling at all. And your presentation reminds me of somebody who was raped. No feeling, no connection to anything. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. So tell me what you're feeling right now. Um, I'm feeling a little bit sad. Um, okay, stay with that and say what it is. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm finding it difficult to to get words for what it is, but I think you know you you've placed some real honesty in you know what is going on, and I think that honesty is what is actually making me me sad. You know, having to look back at that and see it for what it really is. Yes, yes, and the thing is, your mind, just like somebody who was outright raped, has shut down all your feelings. And the fact that you're able to feel sad is like a good thing. It's a kind of awakening to yourself. And what will happen more now is, I believe more feelings will come back. And you know, Liz, I do something through um, Ask Dr. Love. It's called the discovery session. I think this would be a very good session for you. It's a one, one session, one time one session, time. where we dig deeper into a trauma like this and we go now past the feeling that you have been able to reclaim the sadness to find the rest of the feelings that got buried alive. And I am quite sure we're going to find tremendous feelings of disgust, not just disgust for uh, toward the men who violated you, but I'm afraid also that there is disgust that you are harboring toward yourself, that you've never really, what, do you, what did you say, Liz? No, definitely disgust towards myself as well. That's right, isn't it? So yeah. when you feel disgust towards yourself for what you did, it's very easy for that feeling to kind of spill over 
onto, I'm just disgusted altogether. Sex is disgusting. The act is disgusting. What do you think? Makes It makes total sense. Right. But you see, for you, Liz, a lot of it is it's in the head. It makes sense. But the feelings are just pushed aside. There's a lot of pain here. And the fact, Liz, that you even got drunk and engaged in these sexual encounters says there was pain to begin with. Otherwise, you wouldn't have behaved that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something happened when we drink to try to numb ourselves, when we fall into casual sexual encounters to try to numb out the pain, to feel some kind of connection in the moment. Do you know what was going on with you that led you to behave that way? What pain you were trying to escape? Um, yeah, definitely. Well, I think it has a lot to do with, with um, the relationship I have with my mother. So my my mother um, does have a learning disability, so she has I always understand. been a yeah a distant parent. And there, I never you don't really... even have to say more. We're coming to the end, my dear, but I'm yeah. starting to get a, a picture for you, and I'm getting it that you didn't have that connection with your, with your mom. There was a great hunger, then it then it makes you fall prey to drinking and looking for love in all the wrong places. So the first thing I do want you to remember is that that the unkindness you're showing yourself and the disgust doesn't need to be because you did what you had to do to try to deal with the pain of a disconnected relationship with your mom. We're going to have to stop at this point, but I am offering you, you know, to you know, see me at the website, do a discovery session. We can do a lot of healing here, Liz. And, um, and I know that the disgust you feel that's just being misplaced onto your life partner will dissipate. This I know. All right, we have to end here. And I'm sure I'll be speaking to you again, Liz. That's all we have. Next week, I'm going to talk more about grief because there's so much in so many forms. See you next time on Asked Up. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times.